It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On MLB Fantasy Minute is presented by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the most fun I've had playing daily fantasy baseball and winning up to 25 times my money. Download the app today and use the code Locked On MLB for a first deposit match up to $100. Exploring my skills on Prize Picks this season adds an extra layer of excitement to daily fantasy sports. With just a few taps, you can transform $10 into $1,000 if you've got the skills. Prize Picks is incredibly user friendly. I can make my selections and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. As the host of Locked On Fantasy Baseball, here are some rock solid picks. Opt for Shohei Otani to have less than 38.5 home runs this season. Opt for Bobby Miller to have higher than 150.5 strikeouts this season. And for Bryce Harper to have higher than 97.5 ribbies this season. Download the app today and use the code LOCKEDONMLB for first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today. Use the code LOCKEDONMLB for first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. You are locked on Dodgers, your daily Los Angeles Dodgers podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So I say D, I say D-O, D-O-D, D-O-D-G, D-O-D-G-E-R-S, team, team, Hello, Dodger fans. Welcome to Locked On Dodgers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network. Locked On, your team every day. This is the daily podcast covering the Los Angeles Dodgers, bringing you the smart fans' perspective on our boys in blue. I am Jeff Snyder of Baseball Essential. I am flying solo today. My usual co-host, Vince Semperio of Chavez Ravine Fiends, is unavailable as I'm recording this on Sunday night. And so it's just me today, but that works out well because I we had a listener request uh, a couple weeks ago uh, wanting me to talk about, expand on hashtag Jeff for Commissioner, uh, some actual ideas that I have to make baseball better. And so that's going to be most of this episode. We have a little bit of news to talk about, but f- but most of the episode will be uh, my ideas for what I would try to implement if I was commissioner. And uh, that's the plan for today. But first, I want to remind you, please subscribe to Locked On Dodgers wherever you get your podcasts. And when you get in your car or sit on your couch, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Dodgers. All right, really quick, some news first. Uh, I, I think most important to Dodger fans, word came out on Sunday that Tommy Lasorda is in the hospital, uh, and it sounds like maybe he's been in the hospital for a week. It's tough to tell. There were different reports, um, but it, 
you know, at Tommy's age, he's 93 years old, uh, and his health history, it's been three and a half years now since he had a pretty serious heart condition in 2017. Um, I remember, yeah, I think it was about May, maybe even late April of 2017. He ended up missing many Dodger games that he was using in the stands. I know his first game back was uh, June 5th of 2017, because that happened to be the game that I was sitting in the booth with Joe and Oral, so I remember that. Uh, and so, you know, Tommy's been in uh, varying degrees of poor health over the last few years, and so obviously our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. Uh, you know, hopefully he can battle through this, uh, but it does, it's kind of a reminder that uh, people aren't here forever. And so I'm glad the Dodgers won this last World Series if it was Tommy's last one, but hopefully he has a few more Dodgers World Series victories to see. Uh, and I'm not even going to mention another nanogenarian who uh, I am not prepared to lose. So we're not going to talk about that other name. Uh, so thoughts and prayers are with Tommy, of course, and his family. The other bit of news was that the Marlins hired Kim Eng as their general manager, the first female general manager in any professional men's sport, major men's sport, I guess. Uh, and one of the first, I think the second uh, general manager of Asian descent. Uh, and so that is a big deal. It's relevant to the Dodgers in part because she used to work for the Dodgers. She was an assistant GM. She was, a, I think, a farm director for a season. Uh, she did, and she's been in baseball for 30 years or so, and just extremely qualified. It seems like, I don't know, the last 15 years at least, she's been on the short list pretty much every time a general manager opening came available, and she has never been hired. I had been hoping that the Dodgers, you know, Andrew Friedman, the Dodgers technically don't have a GM. They have Andrew Friedman running the show, and uh, I had been hoping if they did get around to hiring a GM that it would be her. Uh, but I also think maybe this is a better situation for her because whoever works under Friedman is, you know, there's a reason that Farhan Zaidi left the Dodgers to go to the Giants because being a GM under Andrew Friedman doesn't quite have the prestige of really running the show. Uh, so I'm very happy for Kim Eng and happy for the game of baseball. It seems like it's probably overdue and uh, hopefully I'm, I'm really hoping that she is successful there in Miami, uh, just, you know, for a lot of reasons for her personally, and just for the sake of giving more women that sort of opportunity, uh, you know, just to show that, uh, you know, being your, your gender or gender identity should not disqualify you from any job. Uh, it shouldn't qualify you for a job either. It should just be not a factor. And, uh, Right now, unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. And, and some of it is just that women aren't as interested in baseball at times. But, you know, maybe that there there's things that baseball could do to, to help that too. Uh, but whatever it is, I'm happy for, for Kim Eng and hope she does well. So I think that's all the news over the weekend, unless I missed anything. Uh, I pulled up Ken Gurnick's tweets, and that's the only two things he's tweeted about this weekend. So, uh, so I assume that's about it. Uh, so... Let's jump into my hashtag Jeff for commissioner ideas. Uh, I've got four big things that, uh, you know, some of them I've maybe talked about on this podcast in the past, but I also know not all of you listen every day, which, you know, you really should. Let's go ahead and start doing that. Okay. Uh, download it every day. 
at least press play, even if you go to sleep, whatever, I don't care. I'm in it for the numbers. Not really. I like when you guys listen. So uh, some of it may be repeats, but hopefully not all of it. So my first thing that I would do as commissioner, I would remove the three better minimum and replace it with uh, just a tweak to the mound visit rule. As it stands right now, you know, teams are limited to, I think they're at five mound visits per game right now. It started at six, but I think they're at five. Uh, but if a manager comes out to change pitchers, that doesn't count as a mound visit. And I would remove that loophole and, and simply that. And so uh, forget the three better minimum. Just say you get four or five, whatever the number is, four or five mound visits per game, and there are no exceptions. If the catcher comes out to talk, that's a mound visit. If the pitching coach comes out, it's a mound visit. If the manager comes out to change pitchers, mound visit. And that way you would accomplish the same thing in limiting mid-inning pitching changes. In fact, you would do it a lot better because my big issue with the three batter minimum that wasn't surprising to anybody who was paying attention was that it didn't appear to actually reduce mid-inning pitching changes, which is what slows the games down. It's not pitching changes that slow a game down. It's mid-inning pitching changes. And we saw it with Dave Roberts a lot. He would bring a guy in to get the last out or two outs of an inning, and then he'd, that pitcher would start the next inning, and then Roberts would come out and switch him and let another guy get And so you had just as many mid-inning pitching changes, whereas under my system – um, if a manager want to change pitchers mid-inning, sure, you can do that, but it's going to cost you a couple pitching changes, especially if you want to bring a guy in for for one batter. You want to bring in your lefty specialist to face uh, – who's a good left-handed hitter? Uh, I won't say Christian, Christian Yelich. That's how dated my references are. Um, but you want to bring in a, a good lefty to face a good lefty hitter and just him, fine. But that's a mound visit to to bring him in, and it's a mound visit to bring him out too. And you just use two two of your four or five mound visits for the game to get that one guy in. And if that's how you want to use your mound visits, great. That's your prerogative and more power to you. But that would naturally limit the number of mid-inning pitching changes and uh, maybe even better than anything else because managers would be hesitant, you know, to use those mound visits early in the game knowing, well, we might get to the ninth inning and I might need to bring in my lefty specialist to face. I'm sure they're, they're a good Cody Bellinger. He's a good left-handed hitter. Uh, you know, what, whoever it is, uh, managers have to have to budget those. And then a lot of times they'd end up not using them all and great, even better, fewer mound visits. So that is my first tweak I would make as commissioner of baseball, which is definitely a job that I'm qualified for. And, uh, I am absolutely realistically, seriously campaigning for it. Uh, if you are one of the owners of a major league team, hit me up. My DMS are open and we can talk about it. Okay. Uh, but now let's talk about Built Bar for a minute. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They have 18 different flavors. They all covered in chocolate. They're delicious. And the ridiculous thing is it tastes like you're eating a candy bar, but your body thinks you're eating like a salad or something. Maybe not a salad because salads don't have that much protein. This is healthy, healthy, healthy for you. Whatever nutritional system or diet you're on, this fits in. If you're doing low carb or keto, it's great. If you're doing, you know, just trying to lose weight, awesome. If you're trying to build muscle, great. Tons of protein. Uh, They're low calorie. They're low carb, obviously very high protein, and they are delicious. Did I mention that they taste really good? And that for me is the big thing. You get protein bars anywhere, but you can't get protein bars that taste really good unless you go to builtbar.com. So if you go to builtbar.com right now and use promo code locked on, you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. 
and keep it locked on Dodgers. All right, we are not going to do an obscure former Dodger today because I've got some more hashtag Jeff for Commissioner ideas to talk about, and some of these may take a few minutes, so I didn't want to bog us down with uh, an obscure former Dodger. So uh, my next one, uh, I'm trying to think what order to do these in. I think my next one I'll talk about is how to stop beanball wars. And now I understand why Major League Baseball hasn't tried to put a stop to beanball wars because the fans like them. And so either the commissioner needs to embrace that or need to take it seriously because the fact is pitchers are throwing harder than ever and there really is a possibility of somebody getting hurt. And, you know, I'm on record as saying when Joe Kelly, I, I believe that Joe Kelly intentionally threw a ball near Alex Bredman's comically oversized head. And I don't think he should have done that. I don't think he was trying to hit him, um, but I think he was trying to scare him. Uh, and, and he threw it behind him on purpose. And especially if you're going with Joe Kelly's command, it's way too easy to miss with that and actually do some real damage to a guy. And so I am not in favor of throwing at hitters as a pitcher. I think the best revenge, if you're mad at a hitter, strike him out, which is what Joe Kelly did to Carlos Correa. And you saw which one caused more hurt feelings, the ball near Bregman's head or the strikeout of Correa. It was the strikeout of Correa that cleared the benches. That was the one that really uh, that made the Astros sad. And that's your goal as a pitcher is to make the other team sad. So uh, I want pitchers to go out there and get their revenge by getting the guys out. So if the goal is to eliminate beanball wars, which for me it is, uh, I, I, I have a three-part uh, idea. The first one is you drastically increase suspensions. And I mean drastically. And obviously this would mean uh, this is something that I maybe have to be king of the world to implement and not just commissioner of baseball because uh, the commissioner can't do anything. Everything's collectively bargained. Uh, but I would think that the the players union might be able to get on board with, hey, let's not have our union members attempting murder on our other union members. And so maybe they would go along with it. But I'm talking uh, if you if you're a pitcher, a starting pitcher, and you intentionally throw at a guy, 30 game suspension. And, and people say, well, uh, that's not fair because, you know, it's such a big, it, it, let me go back a little bit. When a, when a position player gets suspended, they usually get suspended for, you know, for if it's something big, charging them out or whatever, it's like five or six games. But if a starting pitcher gets suspended, it's always six games. So the, 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 his team is minorly inconvenienced by having to shuffle their rotation for one day. Basically, it's a way to make a starting pitcher miss one start. And what I want is a starting pitcher to miss five or six starts. And so that's what I'm saying. 25 or 30 games as a suspension for a starting pitcher is what it should be. And people say that's not fair because that uh, negatively impacts the, the player's wallet. Uh, and the easy solution for that is, okay, the first six games are suspended without pay and the rest is suspended with pay. Uh, but, you know, you still have so the player isn't be un, being unfairly punished, but uh, he's still going out there saying, OK, if I throw at this guy right now, I'm going to be suspended for 30 games. Yeah, that's not going to be good for me in arbitration or free agency. That's not going to be good for my team being down a guy on the roster. So the financial hit is the same as a five or six game suspension, but the impact on his team and his season are magnified. And so it's a pretty effective deterrent, I think. Uh, obviously, Major League Baseball won't do that because they like beanball wars because they can post the videos on Twitter and people watch them. 
my next step would be to take a page from the NBA and the NHL, which is basically that if anybody leaves the bench during a fight, they are immediately suspended. And that would be my rule. In any bench clearing situation, if there is a fight between the pitcher and the hitter, anybody else who gets involved is automatically suspended. I mean, anybody else. If you're the first baseman, you stand there on first base. You're the catcher, you stay there behind the plate and you let the pitcher and the hitter go at it. And guess what? I suspect you're going to see a lot fewer beanballs if the pitcher knows I have to go one-on-one against this hitter. And now, well, you're saying, well, then the, the hitter is an advantage. He has no reason not to charge him out. Well, sure he does, because you could throw those lengthy suspensions at the hitters too. Uh, and, and so... You know, if you have a pitcher who doesn't want to throw at the guy because he'd have to fight him one-on-one and a hitter who doesn't want to charge the mound when he does get hit because he's going to get suspended for 15 or 20 games, you know what? Everybody wins. Suddenly, you have fewer pitchers throwing at guys. Uh, obviously, MLB won't do it because they like beanballs. And then my last idea uh, for this, it's less realistic probably, uh, but, you know, and, and I probably wouldn't really want to do this, but if all else failed, this would be my solution. If a pitcher intentionally throws as a hitter, he's obviously automatically ejected, except he has to lead off the next inning for his team. I know we have a DH. Pitchers don't hit. I don't care. If you throw at a hitter, you you lead off the next inning. And then you're either it's an automatic out for your team if the other team is smart and they just strike you out. Or if they throw at you, guess what? Then they, their guy has to lead off the next inning. And eventually, guys would say, you know what? It's just not worth it. I'm going to stop throwing at hitters. Instead, I'm going to try to get hitters out. So that is my. those are my ideas for stopping beanball wars, which if MLB wanted to stop beanball wars, they could easily do it, but they don't because beanball wars are popular. So uh, my next uh, next ideas have to do with Changing the draft order. Right now, the priorities of the front offices and the fans don't necessarily line up. We saw it with the Cubs and the Astros, how they tanked for years, and then they got good, and they won the World Series, and that inspired more teams to tank. And it was really nice this year. Even if I wasn't a Dodger fan, I would think it was nice to see a team that has never tanked and has just consistently tried to win, win it all. That's awesome. Uh, and I think one of the problems, the reason that teams tank is because there's so much incentive to because, uh, you know, the, the Astros, they won the World Series with Alex Bregman, who they drafted with a draft pick they got for being crappy. Uh, the Cubs won it with Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarber, who they drafted with draft picks that they got for being crappy. Now, if you are continuing to reward teams for losing on purpose, then teams are going to continue to lose on purpose. Right now, there is zero incentive for a bad team to try to win 80 games. It, there, 80 games isn't going to get you to the postseason. It's not going to bring in a noticeably larger number of fans. It's just going to weaken your draft order. And so for me, the answer is you change the draft order and it would be more complicated. Right now, the draft order is just worst to first. The worst team drafts first, the best team drafts last. And, uh, and, and I get why that is, but if you changed it, so uh, here's my idea. The team that the first pick in the draft goes to the best team that didn't make the postseason, uh, you know, and that's where, it's, you know, I said there's no benefit to be gained by winning 80 games. But if if you could 
get a much better draft order by by winning 80 games or 85 games than you would by winning 65, teams would try to get those incremental wins. They would be signing free agents who could help them win. They would be making trades that could help them win. Every team would be trying to win. And as a fan, doesn't that sound pretty awesome? Every team trying to win. And so uh, obviously you wouldn't want to just go, you know, you, you open up the idea of, well, if if the best non-playoff team gets the first pick is a team that's on the verge of the second wild card. Are they going to lose on purpose because they, they think that a wild card or, or a first of uh, number one pick is more valuable than a road wild card winner take all game. You know, there's possibility of that, but you know, I, I think what you do then is you also, so you see the playoff teams into the draft worst to first. So either way, the best team in baseball is still going to have the last pick in the draft. But the way I would do it is the first pick would go to the best record among teams that didn't make the postseason. The second pick would go to the second best non-postseason team. The third pick would go to the worst postseason team. And so then if you're a team that's on the cusp of the second wild card, it's like you're not going to be tempted to lose on purpose because worst case scenario, you get the third pick in the draft. Best case scenario, you run it all and you win the world series. Uh, and so teams aren't going to lose on purpose to go from the third pick to the first pick most seasons. And then you just kind of do that. You go two, two, one, like, or two, one, two, one like that. So fourth pick would be the third best or third best non-posting team. Fifth pick would be the fourth best. And then the sixth pick would be the second worst postseason team, et cetera, et cetera. Two, one, two, one, two, one, all the way down. So the last three picks would be the, uh, 19th worst non-postseason team, the worst non-postseason team, and or 19th best. So the second worst non-postseason team, the worst non-postseason team, and then the best team. And so uh, that way, teams that are losing a lot of games are drafting at the end of the draft. And guess what? You know what? People say well, that's not fair because you can't rebuild. Figure it out. Sign some free agents. Spend some of your money. Uh, there, There's plenty of... Uh, reasons why this people would nitpick at this for different reasons uh you know say oh the bad teams they can't rebuild through the draft if they if they don't get good draft picks well there's other ways to build a competitive team and if better performance results in higher draft picks that incentivizes teams to play in those ways that build competitive teams every team can afford to sign free agents the reason they don't currently is because there's no reason to pay a free agent $8 million when you could pay a minor leaguer 550000 unless you think that free agent is going to get you over the hump and into the postseason. Now, if you thought he could help you get from 78 to 81 wins, maybe that moves you up a few draft spots. And so there, there's plenty of reasons. People say that good teams would have incentives to not become great teams uh, because, you know, it, what's the benefit to being the if you are the third best team in the league, your draft spot is eight or nine picks higher than the best team in the league. So maybe you're incentivized to not win 110 games if you can. Uh, but I don't think that's really going to be an issue. Uh, and the other thing, you know, people say, well, ownership wouldn't go for it. Uh, you know what? That's why you bargain these things. And if the players union saw this as a way for uh, more jobs for free agents, which it would definitely be, then I think they maybe you give up something you really want for it in the negotiation, but there you have it. So tweak the draft so that teams are not rewarded for tanking. 
And then my last topic I want to cover is a salary bonus pool. And this basically, uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain this. Basically, what I want is you've got uh, you've got all 30 teams, and let's say every year the teams put in 33 million uh, into a pool, and so that is about a uh, billion dollars. The data tells us that a replacement level team would win about 48 games a year. Obviously, teams win an average of 81 games because every game has a winner and a loser, and so the there's always as many wins as losses, so the average team wins 81 games, so the difference is 33 games, and so I'm saying $1 million per surplus win is what each team puts in this bonus pool. Uh, what, that, what happens with that bonus pool, where you've got about a billion dollars in the bonus pool, you then split that up and every player in baseball, based on war or a combination of the different versions of war, whatever it is, you figure out at the end of the year how much was each, how valuable was each player, and then you give them a chunk of that bonus pool. And so, for example, uh, I, I ran these numbers on this, and let's say in 2000, 2018, you've got a total of $990 billion, or million, and you've got $814,881.88 is how much each win is worth. And then you look and you say, okay, Mike Trout was worth nine wins this year. He gets nine times that amount as a bonus, uh, which, you know, Mike Trout's already making money. That's not where the, the big deal is. I'm talking about guys like Max Muncie in 2018. Max Muncie came out of nowhere, was making the league minimum, and then he was worth four wins. Well, if that four wins had netted him three and a half million dollars, that is life-changing money for him. And what you would have here, this would give young players an opportunity to make money immediately. Right now, you know, you had the Ozzy Albies, Albies contract that he signed with the Braves. And he signed that because he got the guaranteed money. He got money coming in right now. The Braves said, you know what, we'll give you this $35 million or whatever, but you have to play with us forever. And for Ozzy Albies, he gets 35 million bucks. He's set for life. And that makes sense to him. But what if Ozzy Albies knew that all he had to do was play well and he could get some millions right now? You would have a version of Ozzy Albies who, by the time the Braves came to him with that contract, he already would have made a couple million dollars in this bonus pool. And so he wouldn't be thinking, okay, what if I get hurt and never make any money in baseball? He would be thinking, oh, if I can put up a five-win season next year, that's an extra four million bucks on top of my salary. You know, I if I just they it allows players to bet on themselves, uh, and and not sign those super team-friendly extensions. It also uh, it helps fix free agency because right now free agency is kind of broken because teams have gotten too smart to pay for past performance over expected future performance. And so there aren't many front offices out there making the dumb decisions. Uh, you know, so this lets players, like I said, bet on themselves. So if you're a free agent uh, coming off, you know, you know that your best days are behind you, but maybe if you want to come in and bet on yourself, you can come in and say, you know, I believe I'm going to put up a five win season next year. And that's an extra 4 million bucks. And so you can sign a contract. Uh, basically, you have the opportunity to earn 
your money. It also increases the likelihood of great players reaching free agency, like Ozzy Albies and other guys, because it redu reduces their inclination to take the guaranteed money early. And that might seem like a drawback to people who pine for the good old days where players spent their whole careers with one team. But a robust and exciting free agency is good for the game. Uh, another benefit is the more money goes to the best players. Right now, Ian Kennedy made $15 million last year. Uh, and for each of the last several years, including a few years when he was not good at all. Uh, and now some of that money, you know, Cody Bellinger, when he won the MVP award, he made close to the minimum, the league minimum. When he won the rookie of the year, he did make the league minimum. Imagine if Cody Bellinger had gotten paid for what he was worth. This isn't saying all of the players' salary comes from this bonus pool. This is literally a bonus pool. And the reason that's important for me is because it does allow teams to still make a splash in their player development. If, you know, if Max Muncy gets paid only by his performance, then the Dodgers have no, no incentive to turn Max Muncy into a good player or help him turn into a good player uh, because that's just costing them more money. Uh, but, you know, if they are, it's just part of their salary coming from the bonus pool. It, everybody puts in the same amount in the bonus pool. And so it's actually a way for teams to incentivize themselves to have better player development because basically it's a way to get other teams to pay some of your players' salary. You know, if you can bring in a Max Muncy who comes out of nowhere and earns four million bucks, and you know, guess what? You know what? I'm only actually paying one thirtieth of that bonus because I'm paying one thirtieth of everybody's bonus. You're kind of subsidizing all of your team's bonuses with the other teams, which means the more players you can get to come out of nowhere and have great seasons, the better off you are. And that is awesome. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why this would, uh, it would help free agency. It would help young players make their money. So, you know, make it younger. You would reduce the number of albatross contracts because front offices wouldn't be inclined to sign a guy, say, okay, we're going to give you all this guaranteed money. You know, it would be more along the lines of, okay, we'll give you this smaller guarantee and then go out there and earn your, earn the rest. And uh, everything about it would make everything better for every player in baseball, which is why, of course, it would never work unless I was commissioner and I could talk people into this. So those are my ideas. I think I covered them all. Mound visit rules, salary bonus pool, change of the draft order, and beanball wars. Yep, I covered it all. Uh, I have other ideas, of course, but those are kind of my, my top four priorities if hashtag Jeff for commissioner ever takes hold and I get to replace Rob Manfred in because he's really bad at his job. So uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm stupid. Uh, just regards to this. I don't need to know all the ways I'm stupid because believe me, I know. So that's going to wrap it up for today. Thank you all for listening. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to Locked on Dodgers wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, uh, please listen every day. Or if you if you listen one or two days a week, just add one or two more. Uh, let's just, you know, we would love to increase our listenership this offseason. Please tell your friends uh, whatever you can do to help us add more listeners. That would be awesome. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Locked on Dodgers. Vince is on Twitter at Vince Semperio. I'm on Twitter at Snydog. DMs are open in all of those places. Our email address is LockedOnDodgers at gmail.com. And our phone number is 323-863-LOCK-5625. 
you can leave us a voicemail or shoot us a text there anytime you want. We are here every weekday morning and we hope you'll be here with us. When you get your car or sit on your couch, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Dodgers. And remember, you don't have to agree. You just have to listen. We'll talk to you tomorrow. D. I say D-O. D-O-D-G-E-R-S. The team that's all hard. All hard and all thumbs. They're my Los Angeles. Your Los Angeles. Our Los Angeles. Do you think we'll really win the pennant? Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.